here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Ibushi. Ibushi. Ibushi, where are you? Ah, there you are. Get over here. Get over here. DDT. I'll get sick. One pin in ring, second pin off ring. Ibushi, do you really think you can beat me in an off ring match? I've been doing these matches all my life, Ibushi. You must be really, really stupid to think that you can actually beat me, the master of the dark dough. Look at these hands, Ibushi. Look at these hands. They burn with the power of the Hadouken, Ibushi. And on August 6th, not only will I beat you in ring, I will beat you out of the ring. I will embarrass you in front of your hometown fans. I will embarrass you in front of your country. And you won't be welcome back to America again either. Because Ibushi, I'm the next top ROH star, not you. August 6th, Ibushi, I will see you. Something the matter, Kushida. Came expecting to fight a madman, but instead found a god. <laughs>
got chills running down my body. If you have not seen Kota Ibushi, he is going to knock your socks off. Literally, one of the hardest kickers I have ever been in the ring with. ケニー・コールです。静まり返ったり、大きく切り感が薄まるようです。でも、嫌いかどうか、どっちにしても日本は俺の本。新日本は俺の本。だから、そっち行かない。ケニー・パー。エンド。ワン。グッド。I want to show everyone we are the best in the world. If we hold a belt or not, I don't give a fuck. We are the best. We are the best, and we can change the world. World lovers can change the world. Hi. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich, and joining me today is someone who I know is very happy to be here because of how gleeful and overjoyed today's topic gets her. You know her as one half of the podcast, Sarah and Sarah, wrestling around the world. Coming to us all the way from Ireland, it's Sarah Flannery. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, I was actually really happy when you asked me to do this podcast, because you're definitely right when you say this topic gets me really giddy and overjoyed. I even woke up at 5am this morning, saw that Kenny and Coda were playing video games on Twitch, And of course, I stayed up and watched them. So yeah, (laughs) definitely really excited to be here. Love the show. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's great to have you on here. Definitely. Um, Now, I know you live in Ireland. And according to what I've seen on Twitter, uh, you are currently in the midst of a snowpocalypse. Is that that an appropriate word for what you're going through right now? See, to us it is. I think to everyone else around the world, they're probably just laughing at us right now because it's probably maybe six, seven centimeters of snow. Um, everything's on shutdown mode, no public transport. The bread is r- like running out, potatoes are running out because you can't get more Irish than that. <laughs> but I think we're going to make it through just a few more days and hopefully the storm will pass. Yeah, and it's funny, the storm is called the Beast from the East, which if you're a wrestling fan like us, you see that name trending on Twitter and you think, oh, is, is Bam Bam Bigelow going to the Hall of Fame? But uh, nope, it's just 
bunch of snow and wind and cold temperatures and other unpleasant stuff. Yeah, there's that. And then there's that pay-per-view, well, network special that WWE did a few years ago, Beast in the East with Brock Lesnar. That's right, yeah. yeah. That's all I can think of. Well, I've lived in New England all my life, so I've had to deal with terrible snowstorms every single winter. So I I certainly empathize with what you're going through right now. And I, I do hope that you and your fellow countrymen, you stay safe, you stay warm. But we're not here to talk about snow. We're here to talk about something that's, you know, a bit more positive. Episode 28 is all about two men, two beautiful, darling, angelic men and their entrance music. Kenny Omega, Kota Ibushi, The Golden Lovers. You know, most people probably know them now, more so for their time in New Japan as single stars, but they were originally a very popular team that formed in DDT Wrestling, Dramatic Dream Team, all the way back in 2009. And they were together until 2014, when they split up for, you know, for reasons we'll get to later, I'm sure. Since then, over three years, both men have teased us with a feud, reunion storyline. They play with our emotions. Will these two get back together again? Will they fight? Will either actually happen? And then we got our answer when they reunited at the New Beginning in Sapporo back in January, sending the wrestling world into a tizzy, to say the least. So, uh, Sarah, do you remember where you were when you saw Kenny and Kota reunite? Yes, I remember. It was bright and early here in, in Dublin. I think I stayed up and watched the NXT show the night before. I was like, oh, I don't know if I'll get up and watch the, the New Japan show, but woke up anyway, and it was very emotional. I was just laying there. Usually, you know, I get the big setup, get, you know, the breakfast on and, and, and watch New Japan, but I stayed cozy in bed, and yeah, it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. The, I think the confetti was just the icing on the cake for that whole event. <laughs> it, it just perfect. Yeah, I was at work because I worked the overnight shift on the weekends. And when I saw Kota run out to make the save, I immediately perked up, you know, despite it, despite it being 4.30 in the morning here in Boston. And when they finally hugged and the pyro shot off, I had to make sure I didn't go nuts and yell in front of my coworkers because that would have been a bit awkward for sure. But I did raise my hands over my head and, you know, and go, yes, 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 to myself in a quiet tone. So... I did allow myself to celebrate just a little bit, just a little bit there. I think that has to happen. Sure. I remember when um, just the show has just gone there, the Honor Rising shows. I was in work for day one. And when they first came out together uh, for their first match together in four years, I was sitting there in work just watching my phone with the biggest grin on my face and just people staring at me like, what's wrong with her like why is she staring at her phone like what's she laughing at what's she smiling about near tears I have to say near tears and just brushed it off you know like oh you wouldn't understand it's just (laughs) something something personal yeah Um, this is uh this is this is a love that outsiders may not understand but we certainly do and I think our hearts and souls are (laughs) all the better for it I, I think yeah it's I think the story of these two is so complex, and if people know the backstory, I think it makes those moments even greater. Yeah, thankfully, I was at home watching the Honor Rising shows, because if I was at work, you know, there'd be more awkward stares, I imagine, for sure, coming towards me. But thankfully, I was home, so there were no awkward stares at all. But it was still amazing to see 
them come out together for the first time in, in years. And the crowd at Kirk and Hall just exploding as soon as their music hit. I mean, seeing them work together too, it, it was just so, such a whirlwind of emotions, you know? Just this entire past month even has been a whirlwind of emotions, Sarah. It's been quite a ride, for sure. I just think I didn't expect it this soon. I didn't expect them to reunite like the way they did. And even when they came out together, I actually couldn't even hear what music they were coming out to. The pop was so loud. I was trying to listen out for it. I was like, what? Wait, what is that? And then, you know, I had to watch it. Well, I was going to watch the entrance over a few times anyway, because it was just (laughs) such a pure moment. But I just, it was just so loud. I don't think I've really ever heard a pop like that before for anyone. Mm, yeah, I mean, Cork and Hall is such a great venue because it's it's smaller and compact. So all the energy and emotion is just you know, amplified because of how tight the venue is. It was a, a smart place, definitely, to have their first matches back. Um, now, Sarah, I've seen your tweets and rarely a day goes by it seems where you're you're not gushing over the golden lovers um, <laughs> as as should we all quite frankly you know but i'm going to go out on a limb here sarah and say that our opinions about kota and kenny whether as a team or as individuals they won't exactly be hot takes uh, i'm fairly confident that we both think that they're amazing wrestlers and they're extremely charismatic and lovable and we just want them to be so like happy and successful in life uh, forever and ever. So am I, am I right about that uh, in that regard, Sarah? No, definitely not. I think you, you hold in one there with that statement. Um, I even have friends who wouldn't really be into wrestling, and I've told them about this story of these two individuals and even their rooting for their happiness. They just want them to be really happy and just be together and, yeah, happily ever after, which hopefully we get. Definitely, yeah. I feel the same way, for sure. Um, not exactly <laughs> scorching up the message boards with that, but uh, you know, that's what we feel. So uh, Let's move on to what should be an easy question, I think. Uh, what are your first memories of Kenny and Kota? What was the first clip of them you saw or the first match of them you saw, whether as a team or as uh, singles wrestlers? Well, I was first introduced to Kenny first, and that was through PWG. When I was in my teenage years, I was absolutely obsessed with PWG. And probably the first match I saw was him against Brian Danielson, or I should say John Jacob Jingleheimer-Smith against John <laughs> Jacob Jingleheimer-Smith. Um, it's, it's probably my most watched match of all time. And then through then, I actually saw Coda and Kenny's first match together completely separate because it was them against Apollo 55. And as an Irish person, you know, discovering who uh, Prince Devitt was, I looked, I sought out him first and then saw them against Kenny Omega. And I was like, hey, I, I know this guy. And his handsome tag team partner, Kota Ibushi. And it just went from there. And I think back then it was a lot harder to find more material from DDT and, and um, all those crazy matches that they did prior to that. But it's digging out clips on YouTube and Daily Motion and, and trying to find any little snippets I could and finding Kenny's first kind of promo to fight Ibushi with his King of Anywhere match and and kind of all the afters of that. So it kind of spiraled from there. Um, probably a lot of people 
probably found out about Kenny the same way as I did. It was kind of really popular back then. It's actually not the first tag team that I knew of Kenny. Men of Low Moral Fibre also oh, yeah. have a place <laughs> in my heart. But uh, that's it. Him and Chuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This still ain't over, Generico. Yeah, like, he should have stayed out of Reseda. But <laughs> I think that's a story for a, a different day and a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, the first time I saw Kota Ibushi, because I saw him first, was a clip of him on YouTube of him wrestling Yoshihiko, the blow-up doll. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> Yoshihiko was giving Abushi the Infinite Destroyer, which is, is basically Abushi doing a Canadian Destroyer on himself just over and over and over again all around the ring with a blow-up doll's legs wrapped around his head. And I was like, what is happening here? What is going on? Who is this maniac jumping on his own head repeatedly? And really, that's the perfect introduction, I think, to Kota Ibushi. Him wrestling a blow-up doll, and doing, like, seven Canadian Destroyers to himself, because, fuck it, why not? He's Kota Ibushi, right? Um, and the first Ibushi match I saw was the four-way Rey de Voladores qualifying match from Chikara, King of Trios 09, which oh, yeah, yeah. was Ibushi versus El Generico versus Nick Jackson versus Jigsaw, and that match just blew me away. And it showed me that Ibushi wasn't just a guy who wrestles blow-up dolls. You know, he, he can go in the ring and have these really awesome matches. Now, for Kenny Omega, the first time I saw him was the clip where he's wrestling the nine-year-old girl. And again, I was like, what is happening here? What is going on? Who is this maniac wrestling a nine-year-old girl? And just just an hysterical match. I, I watched it again recently, and I was just howling, laughing, just looking at Kenny's selling and the faces that he makes when he hits the backbreaker and the insiguri on her. Just such a cartoon character. The first real match I saw with Kenny uh, is actually the one that he had against Abushi in 2012 at Budokan Hall. Oh, yeah, Which yeah. is another just incredible match. And it's the one that actually got Abushi banned from Budokan because he did the moonsault off the balcony. Because, you know, again, fuck it. Why not? He's called Abushi, right? So... But, uh, yeah, that match was my introduction to serious, epic match wrestler Kenny Omega. And that, I think, is something that is the main similarity between Kenny and Kota. Not just that they're amazing wrestlers, which they are, but they also, they both excel at balancing the comedy and the seriousness in their matches. They know when it's appropriate to be funny and wacky and goofy, and when it's not, you know? Like, when Kota wrestles a blow-up doll, or... When he wrestles in an apartment complex, he'll be silly. He'll be wacky. But when he's wrestling Tanahashi or Naito or Goto in the G1, he'll be completely serious about it. Same with Kenny. You know, uh, wrestling a nine-year-old girl or wrestling some random six-man with the Bucks at OTT in Ireland. Goofy Kenny. Main eventing Wrestle Kingdom or wrestling Naito in the G1 finals. Serious Kenny. And that's been true with them as a team as well, you know? At times they'll be cutesy and goofy and they'll play up the whole gay angle. But then they'll wrestle Apollo 55 for the junior tag belts or Cody and Marty and it'll be just an insanely awesome match. So both of them really understand, you know, the roles that comedy and drama play in wrestling and when to utilize each of them appropriately. Yeah, and I think they even look at what's going on around them and what's on the card. Like, I think 
one of the most talked about matches from the G1 just gone is, is Kenny against Toriano. And that's probably one of the silliest matches of the year. But that's memorable because it had its place. And they know when, like you said, they know when it works and when it doesn't and when they should be serious and when they shouldn't be serious. And they pick their spots well. And they do everything with a purpose. It's it's not just to be silly to throw it in and yeah, just a throwaway spot. It, it's something that's memorable. Like when they came to OTT, I don't think anyone expected them, Kenny, to go in and pull off this six-star classic match. But when I go look up Kenny Omega clips, the OTT clips are, are used everywhere because they're memorable. It's it's him, you know, talking his spots, doing the oh, where do you think you're going? Like you you can't escape, and everyone remembers it because he's on the mic and he's doing. It's like oh no, where do you go? <laughs> Not a lot of wrestlers have found that kind of perfect balance between serious and funny. And because Coda and Kenny are just so talented, be it in comedy or in a flat out straight wrestling match, they're just good at everything. So it works no matter what for them. In my in my opinion, it's probably me being a massive fangirl, but they could probably do anything in a match and make it memorable and people will adore it. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, I think the main difference between Kenny and Kota is that Kenny is extremely methodical. You know, every step he takes in a wrestling ring, every interview he gives, every promo he cuts, feels like it is meticulously planned out. You know, he knows exactly where he's going, and his path has pretty much been on a straight line. Start off in North America, go to Japan, make it big in DDT, then go to New Japan and make it big there. A to B to C. Kota, on the other hand, you know, his path is like a game of Frogger. <laughs> He's going up and down, left and right, dodging cars, literally at, at times. So, you know, one minute he's in New Japan, and the next minute he's in Kaiju Big Battle. One minute he's in the Cruiserweight Classic in WWE. The next he's shooting fireworks off his chest on a car in England. And when he goes back to New Japan, eventually, he does so as an anime character. Tiger Mask W. The guy just seems like Chaos Incarnate, you know, just jumping from one point to the next like Scott Bakula. It doesn't seem like he's comfortable staying on one path for too long or staying in one place for too long. But I think those two clashing mindsets about how you handle your direction in wrestling, that is what makes Kenny and Kota's pairing even more interesting. Yeah, definitely. And I think it actually reflects in their wrestling styles a lot as well. Like Kenny throughout the match, it is a lot more methodical and he picks his spots to be at certain points. Whereas Ibushi's just boss the wall flat out, just going for it, probably breaking his neck in the process. Um, and you can even see it when they did that interview with the documentary that they just did when they got back together when Kenny went to Coda's training facility. You can see it when Kenny's giving his interview. He's kind of thinking of his answers and he's thinking of how he's going to phrase everything and, and how he comes across. Whereas is Coda, it's just like, I don't really care. You know, this is just whatever. This stuff doesn't really matter to me. Whereas with Kenny, every little thing he does matters. Right, right, yeah. Um Actually, I was thinking about this earlier. The way I see it, you could argue that Kenny and Kota's entire relationship 
the entire Golden Lovers saga, the past decade of their careers, has been based around the notion of direction and the paths that you're on in life. Because the reason that Kenny even went to Japan in the first place is because he saw Kota wrestle a match outdoors in DDT, and he wanted to wrestle him. Then when he got there, he just fell in love with Japan and became really, really, really close friends with Kota. So Kenny moved to Japan, he joined DDT full-time, and him and Kota, they became the Golden Lovers. So the two were now on the same path together. Then in 2013, Kota decided to move on up in the world and sign a dual contract with DDT and New Japan. So now he was splitting his time between the two promotions, and he became a heavyweight. Kenny left DDT in 2014, and he signed with New Japan full-time, but he was still a junior, and he also had joined the Bullet Club as a heel. So now they were split. They were both going on two different paths in different directions. No interaction at all between the two. The only time they did interact, actually, was at Invasion Attack 2015, and that's where Kenny distracted Kota during his match against AJ Styles. But that was it. You know, nothing came of it at all. And from there, they just stayed in their own lanes. Kenny became a heavyweight, and Kota got injured and left New Japan. Kenny ascended up the ladder, and Kota was just fucking around in different promotions. Kenny made event at the Tokyo Dome at Wrestle Kingdom against Okada. Kota opened the show as Tiger Mask W, not even as himself. Now, eventually, Kota did return as himself for the G1 Climax, but him and Kenny were in different blocks, so they didn't even wrestle each other. You did see them meet up again backstage after Omega lost to Naito in the finals, but again, nothing came of it. It's just... Separate, separate, separate for three whole years. And it's only until a certain blonde Max Headroom-looking motherfucker named Cody Rhodes stepped into the picture and started going after Coda, despite Kenny telling Cody specifically not to mess with Coda, to leave him alone, did something happen? Because Cody tried to attack Coda after a match, but Kenny stopped him. Cody did the same to Kenny at New Beginning, but this time, Kota stopped him. And there we see the two in the ring together, finally. And it's tense, it's nail-biting, what's going to happen? And then they hugged. And the Golden Lovers were finally back together again after so long. And they were back on the same path, on the same direction as well. And you can see why myself and Sarah, you too, and... So many people around the world are so invested in this storyline. You know, I mean, we're talking years of intricate, intimate storytelling that is just so layered and so emotional. The fact that we get to see all this stuff play out in front of us, I mean, it just makes it so much better. Uh, to, to see these two men who have built this bond that goes beyond mere friendship and is something special, to see them take the wrestling world by storm with this decade-long storyline, it's just, it's truly incredible, you know? Definitely. When you mentioned Cody, I think he kind of plays the, the villain in this, like, his role perfectly. You know, every little thing he does, you know, like, just shows previous kissing, Ibushi calling Bushi, Kenny's rat, and all these little things to try and kind of play up this whole act that, 
you know, he said to Coda at Wrestle Kingdom that, like, he loves Coda more than Kenny does. Kenny will never love you the way I love you. You know, that's trying to get him all riled up and, and Kenny telling him, I told you not to go after him. The one person, like, why did it have to be him? And, you know, kind of like, do you not realize this whole backstory that we have together? Like, you, you should know this relationship I have isn't just you know, a relationship that he has with the books or he has with any other members of Bullet Club or, or whatever. It, it's something very different. And now in this new age with being the elite and Twitter and all these other things, we get to see it kind of play out in a, in a different way than it did before. And it kind of gets people even more involved. They want to know even more about what's going on between them. And they want to see kind of every little detail, which they're not really giving us, which adds even more to the mystery. <laughs> and the, every time you see them, they're just you just want to get that little bit more information out of them of like, what's really going on here between you guys? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you know, even though we do have all this access and all this availability, they still manage to keep some cards close to the vest, which in this day and age, it's pretty cool and pretty rare too to have a guessing game involved with a wrestling storyline you know because everywhere you look it's it's dirt sheets and news sites and spoiler alerts but here i have no idea what's coming down the pipe with these two and it's pretty damn exciting i think yeah absolutely zero idea and i don't think we ever will know until it actually happens yeah overall they're just two limitlessly creative and fascinating wrestlers I don't think I've ever not been interested on some level with the Golden Lovers, whatever they're doing, as single stars or a tag team, serious or comedic, they've always had my attention, and they make me think and make me take notice, which is what you want out of wrestling. So good job, them. <laughs> Definitely. And I think their themes are really, really interesting in terms of their characters at, at, at different points in their career. Well, you bring up their themes, and I think... That's as good a time as any to transition now to talking about their entrance themes. So we'll do Kenny's themes first, then we'll do Kota's, and then we'll wrap it up talking about their tag team theme, which will symbolize their reunion and end us on a loving note. So, Sarah, are you ready to get musical? Of course, always. All right, well, we'll start off here with Kenny Omega, the best bout machine. Of course, before he was the best bout machine, he was just plain old Kenny Omega with blonde hair and blue tights and a goofy personality to boot. His first theme, used on the North American indie scene, uh, most notably in Jersey All Pro Wrestling, this is Flash Rider with a song called Attenzione. Attenzione! Attenzione! Admittedly, there's not much depth to this one, but I think it's a good starting point for talking about Kenny's themes because 
Kenny Omega, yes, he's the best bout machine. He's been having these super epic serious matches for the last few years against Okada and Ishii and Naito and so on. But Kenny is also a very exaggerated man. He can be so over the top, so wacky. His facial expressions and mannerisms can be amplified to these extreme heights. I mean, the first year or so of the cleaner gimmick is that to a T, but so is early Kenny Omega. You know, long before he joined New Japan, and became this worldwide phenomenon that we know him as today, early Kenny is doing Hadoukens and being the king of the anywhere match and the master of the dark Hado and cutting these outlandish promos. So it suits him to have a theme here during this early part of his career that is also quite amplified and exaggerated and over the top. It's just a European techno party song. It's not trying to be subtle. So it definitely works for this era of Kenny. Yes, Kenny Omega built from Pokemon Stadium. And I think this era of Kenny, you can even see it in all the old Jersey All Pro videos. He's kind of, like you said, over the top and exaggerated and just peak goofy Kenny cutting these wild, wild promos. And just, I think it's the era of Kenny that people if now they don't really like him, it's because they think that, that he's that all the time, when it's obviously not the case at all. They just think that that's, that's what he does, that he's just, he can't take anything seriously. But but I, I think it's a kind of a good starting point. And like you said, this, the song is very just, it's very, very repetitive. And just, it it's one of those ones that if you had a headache, it's definitely not something you want to listen to over and over again. It's just a da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da all the time. But I, 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 this isn't really a song that I would have heard when watching Kenny because PDVG doesn't show any entrances, so... <laughs> I don't even know what he did when he came out. Did he, he obviously did his little peace sign pose, and that's about it. Sure, yeah. And I think there's a fun connection here, too, between this song's genre and where Kenny's future would lie. Because the mid-to-late-2000s American indie scene doesn't seem like the kind of place where you'll hear a lot of techno music being used as entrance themes. A lot of new metal, maybe, you know, <laughs> a lot of hip hop, but not something like this. Japan, though, I feel like there's an abundance of dance techno music that is used as entrance themes. I mean, Dragon Gate alone probably makes up like half the field, you know? So Kenny is a guy who has spent the better part of a decade living in Japan He's integrated himself into the culture. He speaks the language fluently. The Japanese fans have taken to him like he's one of their own. He's about as Japanese as you can get without actually being Japanese. So Kenny using Attenzione, this techno disco song, is a cool nod to where he'll end up being this massive star. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and, and it's slightly, like, it is different to everything that was around at the time. Like, the only kind of dance songs I can think of previously were Special K, who were uh, in Ring of Honor, who were a bit of a different breed, a, a party group. So he's definitely kind of on his own here with this. And he just always has to stand out, and this entrance theme definitely does that. So in 2009, uh, Kenny is now living in Japan as a full-time DDT wrestler and tag partner with Koda. His first singles theme in DDT is by Ogaretsu-kun, Manami Itel, and Yuki-chan's Papa, which <laughs> I hope I said all that right. 
Off the album 20th Anniversary Rockman 1 through 6 Techno Arranged Version, this is Dr. Wiley 1 Mega Man 20th Anniversary Techno Version. notice that we are still in the energetic, fast-paced techno phase of Kenny's theme history, but we've hit an important facet in Kenny's life, and that is video games, because this is a techno remake of a song from a level in Mega Man 2, and Kenny Omega loves Mega Man 2. Kenny Omega loves a lot of video games, actually. <laughs> That's who he is, you know? We've seen him in Let's Plays, we've seen him face-off against Xavier Woods at gaming conventions, and he's based so much of his wrestling persona around video games, especially early on in his career where his gimmick was that of an otaku. Otaku is a Japanese word that translates into basically the equivalent of a nerd or a geek in Western culture, someone who's obsessed with anime or manga or video games, Japanese pop culture in general. Which, again, that's Kenny Omega in real life. So, the names Kenny Omega and One-Winged Angel, they come from Final Fantasy. He's used the Hadouken from Street Fighter as a move. The name V-Trigger is actually a combination of Street Fighter V, the V, and Chrono Trigger. The step-up Enziguri he's used in the past was called Flashman's Time Stopper, which is another Mega Man 2 reference. The cleaner character, even, is based partially on Albert Wesker from Resident Evil. So it's only right that Kenny has a theme that is actually from a video game. And it's even more appropriate that he used it in Japan. Because what better place to totally geek out on Japanese culture than in Japan? Yeah, and even when listening to all of his themes kind of in a row, I kind of got the sense like this first theme is kind of like, yep, stage one, Kenny's come to Japan, he's really excited, he's really happy to be there, he's immersing himself in the culture, it's that really kind of half fast-paced, happy kind of music, he's ready, he's coming out, the crowd love him, he loves being there, and it kind of gives you that sense of, of what he's about and that he is kind of that massive uh, video game nerd, I hate really hate using that word, but that's kind of what you have to call him. Um, like even you, you see him, he used to do his own videos on, on YouTube called Cleaner's Corner. I used to invite um, him and Ibushi's good friend Michael Nakazawa on, you know, and, and like they they'd get together and play some games and, and sing some karaoke and and get up to all sorts. So this this is actually my favorite Kenny theme to be honest, because I think it's kind of quintessentially him, and probably my favorite era of Kenny. Just because I think at this time, you know, he had the amazing matches at Ibushi, but he also had a lot of, you know, kind of the stuff that he's known for today with the comedy, and it, it was the perfect mix for me. Yeah, and I think 
This song is evidence of what I see as a recurring motif throughout Kenny's theme history, and it's that every time Kenny gets a new theme song, the song choice becomes not more serious, but more and more epic, more grandiose, but it always has that Kenny Omega spark, that twinkle in the eye is always there in some form. Here we have this song that is just rapid-fire keyboard virtuosity, Notes are flying everywhere, to and fro, you know. There's a heightened intensity, much more so than Attenzione. The tempo has been quickened, there's a bit more variety in the structure, but at the same time, it's from Mega Man 2, you know, it's from a video game. And that's the little piece of Kenny that carries over from Attenzione. So yes, Dr. Wily 1 is a step up from Attenzione, but it still has that all-important Kenny Omega charm to it. Yeah, definitely. And just, it, it kind of, again, like, this, the song matches how he wrestled at the time. Like, he's, you know, he knew he's a junior. It's all very fast-paced, high-flying, doing all, like, the crazy top-rope moves. It matches it perfectly. Whereas then when his themes progress, he changes his style. It, you know, everything kind of moves up different gears. So this is like a stage one Kenny Omega. He's new into the game. He's getting started. Now Kenny's second DDT theme is off the album We Are Rockmen, Volume 2. This is Rockmen with Dr. Wily Stage 1 Omega Man Mix. have here is essentially the same song as the previous one. The notable difference is that instead of it being a primarily techno song, it's now a rock metal song with the rock guitar taking the place of the crazy keyboard. And I actually really like how the song makes that transition where it starts off with that keyboard riff, you know, bum, bum, na, na, bum, bum, na, 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 and then it goes into this techno ramp up that Initially, you think it's just going to build and build into this crazy techno orgy, but then it does the old switcheroo and becomes this metal shred fest. And like you said, Sarah, the first DDT theme is kind of like stage one Kenny. He's very excited to come to Japan, all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. This song is a more experienced Kenny Omega. He's lived in Japan for a few years now, and even though it's the same song, it comes across as more epic, more tangible. It packs more of a punch. Kind of like Kenny gaining experience and becoming more and more ingrained into the culture of DDT and Japan in general, to the point where he's no longer considered to be an outsider, but now he's one of their own. Yeah, it's like, it's like he kind of got upgrades in the game and he's kind of moved on. And he's, he's not just you know, Ibushi's friend anymore. He's a viable threat in, in DDT. 
and kind of with you know the guitars and being a bit more heavier it's it's a bit more serious and it's a bit more intense when he comes out it's not just coming out and being really playful it's it's really kind of full on and there's like there's more to it there's you know you can read in a bit more to it and, and the way it progresses through and I think like I said before this is stage two he's kind of moved up and he's kind of ready you know he's facing his, his big rival it's like when you're in a game and you're trying to make it kind of the halfway point and you've got to face your all-time your, your all-time rival and you have to try and get one over on them yeah and obviously it being the Omega Man mix it's perfect for Kenny because it has his name in it and it is quite grand and majestic which is who Kenny Omega is so in 2014 Kenny Omega leaves DDT and signs an exclusive contract with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Initially, he promised he would not join the Bullet Club, unlike other gaijin in New Japan, like AJ Styles, Doc Gallows, the Young Bucks, etc. But it turns out that Kenny lied, and he did join the Bullet Club, because he loves money and fame. <laughs> so he was now the cleaner, a no-good, dastardly heel who was going to clean up the junior division. His theme music is by Inosuke Kitamura of the album NJPW Greatest Music 4. This is Devil's Sky. I admit that I did not follow Kenny Omega regularly until he joined New Japan on a full-time basis. I had seen some matches here and there beforehand, but The Cleaner was my first regular exposure to Kenny Omega. And when he had his first official match at Wrestle Kingdom 9 against Ryusuke Taguchi, even I could see how much of a tonal shift it was from his old persona. Because he was still very over-the-top, still very much like a video game character, but it was quite obvious that this was the dark version of that character, the video game villain, where he was now a heel in the Bullet Club. The sunglasses, the leather jacket, the black hair with the gray streaks, the black tights, doing all sorts of evil, wacky things like the cold spray in the eyes and the arm hair chainsaw and the flagpole up to Gucci's ass. Uh, but he also stopped using the Hadoken, and he wasn't the effervescent Japanophile who was fluent in Japanese. He was now the Gaijin 80s supervillain who only spoke English and had an evil laugh. And Kenny's music underwent the same tonal shift, because compared to Attenzione and the Dr. Wily songs, this is a dark descent. They've slowed down the tempo. We've got church choirs, which I always love, but they're pretty spooky, gotta admit. We also have scary organs and bells. They've gone back to primarily using keyboards, but these aren't the cheery, go-go, techno keyboards from earlier. These are supposed to be ominous keyboards. Actually, in the intro, 
there's that part where the melody goes that is heavily reminiscent of the shower scene in Psycho and also Psycho Sid's theme. And to top it all off, there's an evil distorted voice in the middle. So this is clearly a song that was designed for a bad guy. And it's a song that, again, takes things up a notch in Kenny's theme history. This makes the Mega Man songs sound like child's play. This is some, you know, dark, heavy-duty, villainous music. Yeah, it, it's really sinister, and you kind of know, like, oh, oh shit, like, what's he coming out to do now? And just a whole shift in his character really, really suited that, you know, no one ever thought that he was going to go and make that big drastic turn, and and I think, you know, once you hear that kind of, it's like, you're like, oh, he means business now, like, there's no more time for games, even though people took the, the cleaner gimmick to to be something a bit goofy and, and he'd come out with the, with the broom and, and kind of shuffle along to the dun 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 with the broom. But yeah, this is something that, like again, it's stage three, Kenny Omega. He's kind of going into kind of like a boss mode now. You know, it's, it's when you kind of get to the, the end of the game and you're against, you know, the boss. That, that's what he turned into. He wanted to take over the junior division. And that's essentially what he did. And he needed a theme to kind of match this. He wasn't just, you know, a regular player anymore. He was the the player. And something like that really, really suited him because it was such a grand departure from teams previous. Like you said, it, it, it kind of got rid of the playfulness and, and it was more sinister and, and had this really dark undertone to match everything. And I think that's exactly what he needed to to kind of make that statement coming into New Japan and, and being this really serious wrestler. And he's not in it now just because he loves wrestling. He's in it because he wants to be this big star and, and be like his Bullet Club counterparts and take over New Japan and, and bring in all the foreign wrestlers, all the gaijins, and, and take over. Yeah, and again, it's a song that truly feels like a Kenny Omega song. It almost feels like Kenny wrote it himself based on... I don't know, some evil boss level in Final Fantasy. Even the name Devil Sky just screams Kenny Omega. And because of that, I think it works for Kenny, whether he's the goofy villain or the serious wrestler. Because even as he was getting rid of the broomstick and the cold spray and some of the more on-the-nose craziness, this song could still be a perfect fit for that more serious Kenny because of how epic and badass and foreboding it is. Or whenever he does slip back into Goofy Kenny, like the Yano match or some six-man with the Bucks, it can work for him then, too. So no matter what type of character Kenny's going for, Devil Sky is going to be perfect for him. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's one of those songs it really gets stuck in your head. Like when you do kind of play video games, there's that kind of one song that would get stuck in your head when you're playing certain levels. And that one does. It just it gets ingrained into my brain when you when I listen to it over and over again and then just all the different aspects of it and, and even when he comes out with the books and, and Nick Jackson sings along to it you know it, it definitely does play whatever role he wants it to play and it depends and if he has the house show tights on or if he has the, you know his his you know six star match tights on it depends on how he makes his entrance to it I think absolutely for sure yeah now, somehow, Devil Sky gets even more spectacular when Kenny 
main event the Tokyo Dome at Wrestle Kingdom 11 and gets a super special version of the song, the 2017 Tokyo Dome version of Devil's Sky. I don't think you can get any more epic than this version. You've got the Terminator intro, the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, building up into this tense thunder and lightning soundscape before it crashes into Devil's Sky. That's about as epic as you can get, I think, probably. And really, it's the perfect time and place for Kenny to have such a theme, because it's the biggest match of his career, the biggest stage he's ever been on. He's being so grandiose when he makes his entrance with the Terminator mask and the shotgun. The theme is right there with him. And then he goes and wrestles what may end up being the greatest match of his life. And I think that's a really excellent summation of who Kenny Omega is. He's grandiose, but serious. He's funny, but focused. He's all of these things. And that's what makes him such an elite level wrestler, if you pardon the pun. And I think that's a perfect way to end his theme mystery here. Yeah, I think it, it sums Kenny in the present day up perfectly. Um, I, I know I keep bringing it back to video games, but I always compare it to, like say when you're playing a Tekken game, and I'm gonna say Tekken 3, you're against Ogre, you defeat Ogre. But oh wait, that's not it. Now you have to face true Ogre. <laughs> and this is kind of what it was like. Like, oh, you thought Kenny was at his best during the G1 when he beat Goto. Wait a minute, no, that's, that's not it at all. It's him at Wrestle Kingdom against Okada. This is Kenny Omega's final form. This is Kenny Omega at his best. And that's what you're going to have to contend with. All the added kind of the, the beginning and, and all the little kind of added uh, instruments throughout. It made it more grandiose and bigger and better than, than Devil Sky was before. Okay, we'll move on now to the other half of the Golden Lovers. The Golden Star, Kota Ibushi. His theme history is noticeably shorter than Kenny's. Only two songs here to talk about. The first one is one that he's used for many years in places like DDT and ROH and so on. Off the album Coming of Age, this is Breaking Point with 27. Well, it's trapped up inside you. There's no peace. There's no Sarah, I have questions. Why this song? Why this band? Why Kota Ibushi? Because 
What we've got here is Breaking Point, which actually is the same band that did RBD's theme, one of a kind. It's the same guys. They're an alt-metal post-grunge band, not on the same level as like a Stained or a Godsmack or what have you. They only had like two albums before calling it quits. Never really had a bona fide national hit either. Um, I think 27 got a lot of local play in Memphis, where they're from. And you could argue that One of a Kind is their most popular song ever, but no one really thinks of Breaking Point when they think of that song, they think of RBD. So I have to wonder, A, where in the blue hell did Kota Bushi hear this song? And B, <laughs> why did he choose it as his entrance theme? I mean, what was the impetus here that made Kota Bushi hear the song and decide that this is what he wanted to use as his entrance music? Because... For the life of me, I can't figure it out, which is, is fitting because it's Kota Bushi and no one can figure him out. You know, j just when we think we have the answers, Kota changes the questions. I I'm stumped. I won't lie, I was actually going to ask the exact same question because I have no idea how he could have found this, this song out of all the songs in the world. Why did he pick this one? Even when looking it up, I think I saw that it was in the Scorpion King. Did he sit down and, and watch the Scorpion King and go, I like that song. That's, <laughs> that'd be good for my entrance. But even when trying to find the song on like Spotify or anything, it's actually kind of hard to find. And I, it's just something I'm like, when I think of Kota Ibushi, I of course obviously now associate this song with him because he's used it for, for, for many, many years. And But it's because it's like this, I don't know how this fits him and, and his character. But I suppose like the only lyric I can kind of pick out is like competition is weakening, the competition is gone. Is that kind of him, you know, suddenly kind of saying like, I'm the top guy here, guys. None of you can beat me. That, that, that's kind of like the only connections I can think of. Yeah, the connection that I could find was that, uh, well, for one thing, it's an uplifting rock song that a babyface wrestler might use, like Kota Ibushi. Number two, the main lines are, when it's trapped up inside you, there's no peace, there's no hope. So I suppose the energy, the fire that is trapped inside you, you have to let it out if you want to excel in life. So that's why Kota does so many crazy things. That's just him expelling his energy, which sounds a lot weirder now that I say it out loud. But uh, another verse is, your opinion is changing, your opinion's not sound. It doesn't matter what the truth is, all that matters is now. So that's about living for the moment, which is Kota Bushi's lifestyle. Going wherever you want to go, traveling around the world, not being confined to one place or one promotion. So if you look close enough, Sarah, I think this song does fit Kota in some weird way, I guess. Yeah, you really have to read into it. it it's not as in your face as, as, as Kenny's is. You know, you kind of really have to do a bit of research when it comes to Ibushi and I think that kind of sums him up in a nutshell you kind of have to go a bit deeper with him like it, it is a great song and it, it does get stuck in your head like all songs from around that era and that genre are they do get stuck and ingrained and I you know found myself kind of singing along to it you know during the week when I was kind of listening to it more and it, it's just yeah I just wonder though what first made him pick this? I really, I really wish I could. Someone ask could ask him that because it's just so different. 
maybe during uh, the next Twitch stream, we'll ask him. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> I'm putting that on my priority list. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we'll have uh, Kenny translate for us. It, it'll be great. So, Kota's other theme is the one that he's used in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Another Yunosuke Kitamura song, this one off of NJPW Greatest Music 3. This is Golden Star. Thankfully, with this song, there is considerably less confusion than there was with 27. It's a lot easier to see why this song works with Kota Ibushi. A lot of, um, how do I describe it, like, hopeful-sounding guitars, uh, eager, you might say. It's got a great driving rhythm to it, that buna 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 Similar vibes to DIY's old theme, Chrome Hearts, I'd say. Also, some dramatic shouting as well. Uh, in the beginning, we hear, Golden Star! And then as the song progresses, we get, Wow! All of it just conveys like the sense of soaring upwards and gaining momentum and speed. Again, kind of like 27, where the message is releasing what's inside of you and letting it out and rising above it really works well as the soundtrack to Ibushi running around the ring and, and flying off the top rope and winning matches and gaining momentum in his career. So a tremendous job here by Kitamura of harnessing that babyface Ibushi spirit. Yeah, you definitely summed it up really well. I like kind of even the build-up at the beginning and kind of that burst of energy once that kind of wraps up when they do shout Golden Star. And it's just that overwhelming sense of positivity nearly that you know Kota Ibushi is overwhelmingly positive he's always going to give his best he's always going to do something to wow the crowd it's it's him and it's him perfectly summed up in this song it's you know the crowd is just going crazy for him and just it is really upbeat and you know I think Kota Ibushi is probably one of the best baby faces there is on the planet you know I, I can't really see him being anything else at this moment in time and, and they definitely matched this up to him very, very well. And, you know, it, it kind of reminds me a bit of, like, Tanahashi music a little bit, just with the, the kind of positivity and, and the kind of, you know, the chanting. And that's just, that's kind of what I get from it, that he's nearly kind of like him, this overwhelming, you know, good-looking guy who's really over with the crowd and, and just adored by every single person. And that's, you know, that's what you want to see from Coda. Yeah, and there's also that really meaty midsection as well. The song is not just the driving rhythm, there's also that sweeping guitar solo and a slowed down bridge. And I think that can symbolize the fact that Abushi is not just a high flyer, he can also beat you with strikes or power moves as well. 
a lot of people, you know, probably think of Ibushi as just the crazy guy who does dives off balconies, but he's very multifaceted. He's got the last ride powerbomb, the Phoenix Plex, the Kami Goye. There's more to Ibushi than you might think. This song reflects that as well. Yeah, it's nearly like symbolizing his uh, his strikes, his, his kicks that look like they could uh, kill a man <laughs> with the, the force that he, he puts into them, for sure. And it definitely does break it down in all the different parts of, of Kota Ibushi. And I think to you know the average viewer, he probably does look like that crazy guy who just likes shooting fireworks and, and being absolutely insane. But at the end of it all, he's probably one of the most talented wrestlers in the world that he could probably put on any sort of different match with any sort of wrestler. And the music matches up to that with all the different aspects and all the different things that they put into it. Our final theme of the episode is the tag team theme for the Golden Lovers during their original run. Uh, now, I know they did debut a new theme at Honor Rising a few days ago. Uh, unfortunately, that is not out yet, but we do have the first one. This is by Team Nico Khan. The song is called Airman Ga Tausenai, translated Can't Beat Airman. So I was looking up the backstory of this song here, uh, Sarah. Uh, do you know the history of Can't Beat Airman? I do not know. Okay, so this is an original song that was made by a fan of Mega Man 2 about not being able to beat the Airman level in that game. That's literally what the lyrics are about. Uh, I found the translation, and the lyrics are, I can't beat Airman. I can't dodge his tornadoes no matter how many times I try. Even when I get behind him and keep shooting, I still end up getting blown away by his wind. I have also tried the often abused repeated pause technique, but it's kind of meaningless against the tornadoes. So in order to win for sure the next time, I'll be stocking up on nothing but energy tanks. And the song became very popular in Japan, and it turned into a meme of sorts, because a whole bunch of people made covers and parodies of the song. Now, where the Golden Lovers come in is that, uh, well, for one thing, again, Kenny Omega once again showing off his love for video games. But I think the main reason this song works for Golden Lovers is because it's trying to convey a feeling of community, of shared love, because of how many people interacted with this song and probably related to this song. You know, uh, I can't beat this level. Chances are you can't beat it either. There's a bond there. And Kenny and Dakota themselves have a very special bond with each other. But that's my guess anyway. Yeah, when I first heard it, I just thought it sounded really like an, an anime theme. Um, and when you look at kind of the story of Kenny and, and Coda, it nearly does sound something that you would see in an anime. Like the, the story between them, you know, them meeting for the first time, fighting each other, but then becoming friends, you know, and kind of nearly fighting the world together trying to change the world as they say they're trying to change the world of wrestling and that kind of what it that's what it sounded like to me like the start of kind of like this you know really nice anime about these two guys who are who are best friends changing the world 
little did I know it was about <laughs> not being able to beat a, a video game level. But that's just kind of what I got from it. Yeah, and also it is some energetic rock and roll, which fits the Golden Lovers as well, because they are also energetic and flying around the ring and doing all sorts of cool moves like the Golden Shower and the Cross Slash and so forth. Yeah, definitely. And I think they picked this one perfectly because it's kind of something that everyone can kind of clap along to and sing along to. And yeah, like it gets kind of stuck in your head annoyingly as well. They're, they're very good at picking themes like it's stuck in your head for sure. All right. Well, that was our look at the Golden Lovers and their entrance themes. Sarah, this was an absolute blast having you on the show and talking about Kenny and Kota. And I hope you had fun as well. Yeah, definitely. I think these two guys could probably go on for hours, you know, talking about all the different aspects of, of them, their relationship, their wrestling, every kind of little facet of them. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I think it'll be really interesting now to actually really get to hear their new theme and what that kind of sounds like in this new era of the Golden Lovers. Yeah, hopefully it comes out before the end of the year so I can talk about it on the 2018 wrap-up episode. So uh, fingers crossed, Sarah. Fingers crossed. Keeping them crossed right now. (laughs) All right. Well, you are the guest co-host, so anything you want to plug, just go right ahead. Yeah, so I suppose first things first is uh, my podcast with... uh, the other Sarah from Ireland, uh, the two Sarahs, which is also on the Voices of Wrestling Network. Um, you can follow us on the two Sarahs, and that's with the number two. Um, it's a kind of a bit ridiculous. Um, we definitely get the giggles a lot talking about all the different shows we watch and, and go to. And, and yeah, it's just very, very relaxed. And yeah, you can follow me at Sarah Flan on Twitter. Um, usually me completely overreacting to things that happen in wrestling and, and just general nonsense, if that's your sort of thing. Well, uh, you know, that's my sort of thing on Twitter, too. Uh, that and bad jokes. But uh, in any event, Music of the Mat is part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network, home to many great podcasts like Sarah and Sarah, but also the VOW flagship, Shake Them Ropes, New Japan Procast, Open the Voice Gate, Burning Spirits, five-star match game, and many, many more. Voicesofwrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. Check out the YouTube playlists for each episode. Those are available on the VOW forums. That's Voicesofwrestling.com slash forum. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Google Play, give us a nice rating and review. And, you know, just tell your friends about the show in general. It's always a treat to have new listeners come aboard. Sarah, again, so much fun having you on. Thank you for being here, and I do really hope that you survive the snowstorm. Yeah, well, if I don't tweet for a few days or I go off the grid, Snowmageddon has taken Ireland. (laughs) You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Uh, As long as you have Kenny and Kota to keep you warm and light your way, uh, I think you'll see it through. So (laughs) cling tight to them. That's, that's what I'm going to spend my few days doing, is just watching them. All right. Well, for Sarah Flannery, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys.
and until next time, goodbye and good night. Bang! Music of the Mad is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders. Here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery.